Hey, what's up, guys? It's Nico from Boardstock. I just wanted to tell you guys, hey, thank you so much for your support. Really goes a long way. Sorry to interrupt the episode at the beginning. I just want to let you know, if you could leave a rating and review specifically on iTunes, it really goes a long way. It really helps the channel grow. Really helps the podcast get to more people. And yeah, I love you all. Thank you so much for your support. I'm loving doing this these episodes, and so is Marcus. And yeah, please rate, review on iTunes, and love you all. Enjoy. Hey, what is up, everybody? This is Nico, and this is Marcus, and welcome to Porch Talk. We had Marcus's good friend Tom on the podcast. Yeah, today. Tom Herner. Man. He is a, just a wealth. He's a powerhouse, man. Yeah, he is a friggin' powerhouse. He has so much knowledge. Mm -hmm. It is insane. I mean, I feel like I could talk to him for like seven of these episodes, man. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. He's going to be one of those guests that we have back on. Uh, He expressed a lot of interest in that, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this man is so calculated with his with how he talks and what he says, it's insane. He's one of those folks who's got an energy about them, uh, something that's definitely going to be palpable as you guys are listening to this. Yeah, man. With that being said, enjoy the episode. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on iTunes, and we love you all. Enjoy. And uh, you also don't have to worry about your volume too much, but yeah, you'll be all right, man. You'll be all right. Yeah, we're always adjusting. Yeah. Okay, so this would be the appropriate speaking yeah. distance. Yeah, perfect, man. That's perfect. Perfect. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about you, Tom. You find so many things interesting. Well, I think everything's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think that's part of the fun of, like, everything is is – if you can keep that uh, – kids, little kids are really interested – in everything that happens around them because everything is brand new for the first time forever they're thinking all the yeah. time if you can keep that that sense of then wonder. life is really fun yeah, um man. but if you like are just not interested in anything that's going on and just like oh okay then it's not fun if you stop asking why then it gets boring yeah that is true man i absolutely love that sense of wonder about you though and then also you've got this very um I don't know exactly what to call it, uh, but but a systemized brain, where where you you really break things down into their into their component parts, and then you really just go after it like that. I don't I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it it's like very visible. I think it goes hand in hand with the interested thing. Uh huh. Yeah, it's I'm interested in things, and I have to be able to separate them and figure them out. You're also very methodical and like calculated with what you say. It's it's really interesting. You're you're really one of the you're one of the few people that are really meticulous, methodical, calculated with what they're with what they're talking about. Most of the time. Uh, I think there are definitely times where I'll just say something and and it's uh not well thought out. Yeah, that makes sense and better than most people. That's what I got to say. <laughs> but anyway. So how do you mark how do you and Marcus know each other? Um, am I answering this or is he answering this? You're answering. I'm this. answering this. Okay. So, um, yeah, Marcus and I are both, uh, members of the executive board of Wright States Entrepreneur Club. So that's how we met, uh, I think like a year or two years ago, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So how's the business going along so far? I know you guys are, 
are you about done done setting up everything? You're getting all your clients together, right? Or you, oh. <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, he's talking about Right Enterprise. Right he's talking Enterprise. about Right Enterprise, the uh, the advertisement. Business oh, oh, yeah. Wow, um, I'm I'm actually a terrible friend because I actually have not kept you kept you yeah. in the loop about. I this would cut at all. that part. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I actually want to want to explain, uh, not not explain, but do talk about it a little bit. My bad. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, things. Uh, we hit a manpower wall. I think that's the best way to explain it, um, in, a, in as neutral of a way as possible. Uh, we just hit a manpower wall where uh, we had enough willing parties. You know, enough enough willing people who were excited to to get forward and you know, get get after it and really start this business and i mean we had some super interested people even just last semester we had this one kid come in who was like oh we can do this and we do this he came up he came in with so many different ideas but uh we just didn't have enough uh manpower behind it so we just had to put things on hold uh we still have the business plan things are racked up um we've talked with a number of the folks who uh we would need to to get this done but uh it's really just about recruitment getting people involved uh making sure our club's in a stable position before we kind of go up into this like uh higher order thing if that makes sense so so yeah so no the business is not a thing right now uh (laughs) but the club is is doing phenomenal absolutely phenomenally i love it i'm loving it man (laughs) yeah i think it's really i think it's starting to grow more it's really getting into into its own thing i the idea for right enterprise is really really good like it's a no-brainer it's fantastic uh, but like Marcus said, I, I think the club was not at that point yet and had to focus on other things in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, we met each other through the club. Uh, when did you get involved with it? I actually, I'm, I'm curious. Um, what happened? I distinctly, oh, um, I think it's John is his name, who is the guy... John Adams? Yeah, everybody's name is John. But um, <laughs> this is true. This is it true. is, yeah. A John Adams came into my marketing class and talked about uh, the Entrepreneur Club. I actually, this is like the third iteration of the Entrepreneur Club, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, before Tyler tried to do it, there was a kid named Isaac. Uh, who tried to start the club. And I don't remember Isaac's last name, but I met with Isaac like three years ago, maybe. Mm. Uh, And I don't remember if I read an article and then sought him out or how that worked. Uh, But he, he talked to me about, uh, you know, his vision for the club and all of that. And I said, Oh, I thought to myself, it was very interesting. Um, and the club didn't really pick up that year. It didn't really take off. And so uh, I heard about it again the following year when John Adams came into my marketing class and uh, talked about it. And I had, at that time, I was a, my company, Barn Gang, was a recent like inductee into uh, the Entrepreneur Center's ESP program. Mm. So I emailed Jordan Rowe. And I said, hey, Jordan, um, I this kid just came into my class to talk about Wright State's Entrepreneur Club. I would like to get involved in that. Do you know any of the players? Like, do you know who to talk to? And he forwarded, he, 
he actually he did an introduction email with me and Tyler uh and so that led to me and Tyler sitting down and talking um and I expressed I was interested in in helping out with the club mm-hmm. uh, so that's how I got involved with it and when was that you said that was the start of 2017 that was yeah whenever whatever the first year that Tyler yeah it would have been the start of 2017 okay so so that I think I think it was the, the fall start semester. of the school year that yeah is. it was yeah. the fall semester of 2017 okay yeah. so so with me it wasn't until uh I think it was either a late November no no it was a December meeting uh the second to last meeting of the of the semester the where I got involved of and 2017 it, still yeah of yeah. 2017 okay. and it was just a, a purely uh, a brainstorming uh, meeting there were so many people in that room like there were so many people in there it was ridiculous um a lot of people actually who I never saw again which is really kind of I odd I wonder how that happened yeah, I, I don't know what... I, I don't know what they did I don't know how I they lured people in <laughs> But um, there were like, I don't even know, like 20, 20 some odd people in that room. Like I said, many of whom I never saw again. But like the ideas are just flowing. You know, everybody just had like, so many like. Wait, just, was it were, was it upstairs? Yeah. In, in Holman, Hall. Holman Hall. And John. Uh, John was Adams. I at that meeting? I think you were. I didn't. I didn't ever talk with you. Uh, we split into different right all right we split yeah into groups. i remember that but the, this the crazy thing was just the energy in that room was like palpable everybody like got to you know take over sections of, of whiteboards in the room and we filled those doggone things up with just like visions of what what this club could possibly be and i gotta tell you man it's just been it's been so much fun nico it's been so much fun ever since then man um, and Tom, I tell I tell these these people in the club from time to time that I love them, that they're some of my favorite people on earth, because they really, really are. This club has been transformative for me, man. Like like you never know. <sighs> how do we get there? I forgot. Uh, Nico asked uh, how we met, and then that led to how did each of us get started in the uh, entrepreneur club. So then, what what is your major then? Entrepreneurship. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome i i actually um i knew uh from the beginning of like when i i originally went to can i go on a tangent yeah do it is man. that fine yeah i'm gonna go on a we tangent. got plenty we got plenty yeah. of time man so i i originally went to sinclair um i graduated high school um and it was financially it was more expensive for me to go to sinclair than it did than it was for me to go to Wright state um, but I decided to go to Sinclair because my girlfriend at the time was going there. And the thing that I learned from that is you should not pick your education path based on a significant other, because yeah. <laughs> if it's going to work, it's going to work. Both of you doing your thing. Yeah. Either way. Either it's way. Gonna work. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so after that didn't work, um, <laughs> I transferred to Wright State. And I knew that Wright State was going to have an entrepreneurship program, but it was not ready yet. It was like a couple, uh, it was at least a year out. Um, but I knew, I knew some people who knew about that um, in the college of business. And so they said, what you need to do is take the marketing path. And then once we announce this major, uh, that'll be the path that we announce as the direction into it um so i 
did marketing uh, for my first two years as my like pre-degree path and then switched to entrepreneurship uh, once they brought that out. Okay, and with this entre- entrepreneurship degree, what is your end goal with it? What do you want to do with it? And uh, where do you want to end up? Well, the degree is totally irrelevant. Uh the only purpose of the degree is to have one. Um, I want to end up exactly where I am right now, uh, which is really great for me because um, I know, first of all, I know how to answer your question in that I know where I want to be. I want to be in Dayton. I would like to be John Patterson, but of this generation, uh, I want to be somebody who finds somebody who uh, pushes for a cause and you know creates a product that changes people's lives but also is able to find and cultivate the next generation of that of that set Um, charles kettering is responsible for almost every major automotive development that happened in the early 1900s i mean the first modern gasoline was pumped in a dayton gas station and it was uh, developed out of Delco's labs under Charles Kettering. It was actually under a guy whose name is Thomas something. Smigley. Something like that. Thomas Smigley? Mig, Mig, Midley? Midley? <laughs> I don't know. It's a strange name, ends in Lee. Um, mm-hmm. L-E-Y. But he... Um, John Patterson had hired Kettering... Uh, to put electricity in the cash register. And um, that was a good thing for the cash register itself, but more than that, it caused Kettering to have the knowledge of using small motors to, uh, like uh, electric motors, to to run things that would otherwise be mechanical. Mm -hmm. And using that knowledge, him and Colonel Deeds, who was also an NCR executive, created the remote or i'm sorry the uh the the key the starter the electric starter in cars okay okay i'm actually gonna have to stop you here because this is a big thing that i do want to talk to you about uh your your amazing reservoir of knowledge of the history of dayton and the modern world but we'll we'll get to that in a second actually you mentioned your your company barn gang Mm -hmm. llc uh do you want to talk about that a bit yeah yeah i'll i'll I'll, can i uh transition back to it go ahead um I would actually, actually, this is a really good time for you to have said that in the story, actually. Okay. That's, okay. that's pretty, that's perfect. Um, so I want to be John Patterson. I would like to be that guy who uh, takes, runs, a, creates a company based around a product that, uh, that changes the way that people do business. I mean, before the cash register, things like receipts didn't really happen you know accounting as a profession profession wasn't something that that you could do you know it was just the storekeep has his general ledger and hopefully all of his uh all of his employees are honest but so to answer your question i want to be john patterson of this generation okay to answer marcus's question um while creating the, the the electric car starter um while that was being created it happened in the carriage house behind Colonel Deeds's uh, house in Dayton, and the it was Kettering, uh, Deeds, and some other NCR engineers, and they called themselves the Barn Gang. 
And that company eventually turned into, because they worked in a barn, and that company eventually turned into Delco, um, Dayton Electric uh, Lights, you know, uh, company. Yeah, so, and they're responsible for, or at the time, they were pretty much the research development wing of General Motors. I mean, um, they're, the effects of that are all over the entire world. I, my last car, uh, my current car is a Buick, which is a GM. And yeah, and, uh, and when I replaced the uh, filters uh, recently, they were all Delco filters, uh, which it, it now Delco is no longer a, its own company as much yeah. as it is like a brand under GM. My last car was a Volvo. The Volvo was manufactured in another country, and the key was manufactured in Germany. On the key, it said Delphi, which was an offshoot of Delco. Yeah. My dad um, worked at Delphi. There we go. Much, yeah, a lot of the population of this area is somehow at some point touched by all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I can see that. And I just think that's the coolest thing in the world. That Oh, yeah, that you have such a huge impact over the... Right here in Dayton. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the modern world wouldn't exist. You wouldn't have refrigerant in your car, in your car for your air or in your damn refrigerator. You know, like frigid air. Like those, they wouldn't, they literally wouldn't exist. Uh, salesmanship as a concept was invented at Sugar Camp, right on the border of Oakwood and Dayton. I mean, there were not, you were a born salesman or, or you weren't. Like you either were charismatic or you did not sell things i mean you know and they invented the first ncr they invented the first uh sales uh like primer premiere i'm not sure Uh, premiere anyway they created the first you know like set uh canned sales pitch how about that they created the first canned sales pitch Uh, along with a lot of like back in the early 1900s marketing was this huge print you guys have seen like the old school ads and stuff and they really changed that, like NCR did, uh, really changed the way that, that companies get and find their clients. It's just, I mean, it, at, at one point in time, one in six of every uh, business executive in the entire country had been uh, hired and then fired by John Patterson. Working at NCR was the rough equivalent of having an MBA. Oh, wow. And um, I want to do that. I want to bring that. Yeah, that's that, sound, that sounds badass, dude. Kind of. I want to bring that back to Dayton. Yeah, um, badass is the word. Like, like seriously. They're, whenever I listen to you talk about, about this city, uh, and, and I, I don't know, it makes me feel like as if there's just something in, like, the water. You know, like there's something in, in the <laughs> air. And it makes me feel like each and every one of us has the potential to be a part of oh we do this amazing amazing thing i mean you get this story of dayton what's what's the number one thing you always hear kids our age always saying about dayton dayton sucks i can't get i can't wait to get out of dayton oh i'm gonna move somewhere else i can't wait they're boring people (laughs) they'll i'm serious and they'll be unhappy in the next place you're not you're probably not wrong but happiness is not a destination it's a journey if you if you can't be I understand if you're like unhappy in an environment, and then so okay, you need to change your environment. But the people that are like, oh, there's you know nothing to do, there's nothing going on, nothing's ever happened here. They're just boring people. 
<laughs> and they then they don't seek that extra thing. They want it given to them. And for them, that is, I don't know. You know, Like if I need to park a Ferris wheel like a mile away from your house for you to feel like there's something going on in, in life. You know, I, I I think that's is that sort of what you're getting at. Like, like if if I need to have this big, like lit up attraction for you, if to think you need that thing, life. then build it. Thank here you. Here and give it to your friends. That's and, and that's amazing. Don't man. just go off. Because something will be wrong there too, you yeah. know. Yeah. But uh, the, the the question I was I was going to ask you it's. It's really how did you become so inspired by the city, you know? Hmm. Like how did how did you first first start learning about this this amazing Dayton story that you always preach? I try not to believe in bad things. Um, I believe in things that aren't what you wanted them to be. Um, but I think that everything is good, and I think that if you really if you're willing for it to be good then it will be uh, i feel I, I believe in making finding the good in things um i have had the privilege of um seeing a lot of the good parts uh, the the good things of Dayton and, and have had a lot of people around me growing up that know the history and, and so I read a book I read a cut of several books but uh, specifically I read a book um, after I'd already had my Dayton obsession uh, called the Grand Eccentrics um, and it talks about five people um, actually six if you count the Wright brothers as two um, which you would, but that really changed, uh, well, just this area, but through that, the everything. Um, then that's uh, James Cox, uh, Cox Media is probably a group you've heard of. Um, he was also the governor of Ohio uh, for a while, uh, failed for running for president and was from this area. Uh, Arthur Morgan, uh, the guy who created we had the flood in 1913 uh he arthur morgan is the the engineer that they brought in to create the dam system that keeps the city from flooding today uh john patterson ncr um he had i mean his impacts were across the entire fucking world Yes, you can curse. You're fine. Um, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Have I? Oh, I didn't know. You're good. You're good. Across the entire world. Um, I mean, <laughs> today, uh, growing I mean, none of us have walked into a store that didn't have a cash register. Yeah. Uh, the credit system that turned into credit cards was created by Charles Kettering at NCR. Oh, Kettering is one of the next people on the list. Uh, and then both of the Wright brothers. Um, there's a the Grand Eccentrics discusses those uh, those six people uh, and their their massive impact. I think that's a really good book for people to read to, to who want to get like into it and interested in it. I don't know. I just growing up, I realized like we have everything around here that we need, 
and whatever we don't have, the cost of living is so low that, is that we can go to those things in our free time. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense to me. And I love your I love your mindset about about a Dayton and about all of the things that you want to do with Dayton. And it just it sucks that we can't change the mindsets of others as well. We can. Well, I mean, with the action you are doing right now. And I believe that once enough people has, have changed that mindset, that Dayton can get back to where it was previously in its prime, for the most part at least. You know, Once everybody gets their mindset back and everybody's on the same page and they're growing together they're helping each other build each other up and all that good stuff. I feel like it could by far get back to its prime. Well, I think it's heading that direction. Oh, it's yeah, of like course. sprinting there really mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And all of Ohio is doing that, honestly. I mean, Ohio is a wonderful area. If we were our own economy, if we were our own country, we'd be the 25th largest economy in the world. Yeah. Really? Isn't that nuts? That's insane. Ohio is... Although that said, Mexico was like 11th, right? So, Yeah, but just Ohio <laughs> is 25th. I know. I'm, I'm just making a Mexico it's joke. It's crazy. Um, and the, the direction that the, that the state is heading in is uh, to be... In, in 10 years, uh, the idea is that this is going to be the capital of the country for... Uh, for information technology. The idea is that this will be the next Silicon Valley. Uh, In reality, we were the first Silicon Valley. I mean, in Dayton, we had more patents per capita than any other city in the country in the early 1900s. I mean, we are... This is the city of innovation. Um, And we're just heading back in that direction. Right now, Columbus is the number two uh, city in the country for... Uh, if you want to go get an IT job, that's fantastic. The Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati area, all of those three as a whole are really being uh, built up. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, construction and new buildings coming up in Columbus that I've seen happening for a couple years now. I don't know really much about Cincinnati just because that's not. I don't usually visit there as much as I visit Columbus. But I know, especially Columbus, that it's it's growing at such a crazy rate it's insane insane. yeah it's fantastic but so going back to your llc oh yeah so um i i really i thought it was very neat uh they called themselves the barn gang um kettering and uh and deeds and uh so i and me and my friends we sit around and talk about ways that we can make the world better and what we can do that will that will improve things, and that comes uh, that goes along with a lot of just ideas. Uh, things happen, problems that we witness, and we're like, okay, well, how can we solve this? What what would be a a solution? Uh, and so uh, a few years ago, uh, some friends and I decided that we were going to make one of one of the solutions that we'd come up with for a problem real. Uh, and I, I wanted to name the company Barn Gang, so we did, uh, as a nod to the early Dayton inventors um, that, that called themselves the Barn Gang and then uh, changed the, 
the entire automotive industry. Um, <coughs> so the company is a, uh, it's a legal publishing um, company. It's, uh, cities have laws, and so we have a website that makes them easy uh, for citizens to find and sort through. Uh, a lot of the solutions that exist right now are made by lawyers for lawyers. And so we said, okay, that's a problem uh, that we found. I think we know how to solve it. And then we started building a solution for it. The product is called Lawkeeper. That's the name of the website. It's an awesome product. I like it. Hey, I think it's it, it's uh, the search features that, that we use are far and away better than um, almost every I won't say every but almost every other um, like municipal codifying companies offerings so so do you do you put laws into like playing in English as some as some would say we don't change the words um, okay. that would be illegal uh, oh, we yeah, make so. them easier to access we make it so that you don't need to know like the exact um, we don't need to know the exact like code or exact legal term. Our search, our search option or, or search, uh, engine engine yeah. uses synonyms. So you don't have, you can speak in normal, you can type in like you would Google in and, plain English. and we'll yeah. get you yeah. the technical response. That's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, there's always a, there's always been a gap between, you know, kind of the public's understanding of, of, of how to operate in the world and then also like the actual <laughs> legal legal binds that's why there's so many people uh you'll you'll hear certain stories of people who, well they're just like start up a random company doing something and then out of nowhere they'll get slammed with like hey you owe us a lot of money for what you've been doing there buddy uh not people not paying their taxes different things like that not uh properly accounting for the right things too um, yeah yeah it can it can be a mess man well, but, it can be hard to even figure out what you like what you needed to know in the first place and yeah. that's why it happens and, and a lot of people can't afford a lawyer to um sit and go through and figure out you know all of it mm -hmm. or or an accountant that <coughs> that knows already how to how to do all that right right um, and then it's compounded by it being harder to even find the the law in the first place. <laughs> and that's the problem that we wanted to solve was uh, how can we take a code book of a city and get that out to its citizens uh, in the easiest way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I love this, this group of friends that you have. I mean, I just think of, of like, like kind of our friend group. We just sit around instead of thinking about you know the the functioning of of or the the functions of, of a city government and and the relationship between that and, and its citizens we just kind of talk about like whether or not Cameron's pancreas functions properly or not or just make stupid jokes about his diabetes or something like that man i don't know <laughs> see that's what you're thinking but when i'm thinking i'm thinking about how can i make people better health wise and athleticism wise you know what i'm saying oh, oh wow yeah i'm shooting at you marcus i'm sorry <laughs> that is that is the business I'm starting up here soon. Actually, this month is uh, personal training, health and wellness. And Marcus nutrition. told me about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what caused you to be that way? So, it's, you look like a trainer. You visibly. <laughs> so it you it look all started. Like that's what you should be doing. It all started, honestly, when elementary school, him and I, 
playing playing out in our front yard i was i was always the really skinny kid like nothing but skin and bones uh no no meat on me whatsoever i'd always get every time i got into a a, a scuffle or a little a little fight with either him or my brothers i would lose nine times out of ten my little brother could beat the shit out of me when I, when we were younger just because our builds were different i was a skinny guy then it got into middle school um I mean, I consider myself a a nice looking gentleman, but when I was so skinny back in the day, I was wasn't even probably hundred pounds in in uh, middle school. Nobody, everybody just weren't wasn't a. I guess the word would be what they wouldn't be afraid to get in a fight with me, really. Like everybody thought they could overpower me easy, which they could. I you mean, weren't intimidating. I wasn't enough. intimidating. I I didn't have that intimidation factor. You don't think you're getting respect? I probably wasn't getting respect. <laughs> but then, come freshman year, buck twenty five, soccer started. I was I was big soccer player. Played soccer my whole life. I was always a real aggressive soccer player, but again, I didn't have the the mass, the weight to, or the strength in general to be, being as physical as I was. So that actually probably was the big factor for me not getting on my uh, the reserve team my freshman year and probably even varsity going on sophomore, junior year. So sophomore year, I was like, screw this. I'm going to go to the gym as many days as I can. That ended up being two years until I injured myself. And I was like, all right, I got to take a step back. Figure injured out. yourself how? A shoulder injury from uh, exercising improperly. So because you didn't have the form right, or you were form, doing, yeah, okay, all form, all form, and I thought I was ego lifting, so I was lifting as much weight as possible for my frame, and it just <laughs> it was really bad shoulder injury. But then I was like, all right, I need to take a step back, really, really analyze what I want to do with my life, as well as what I want to do to best best help my performance in in my uh, sport. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take a personal training uh, certification. And I did. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. What year is this? What time is it? This was junior year, so 2015. 2015. And how old are you at the time? I am 16, probably. 16 going on 17. So I took my certification, became nationally certified through uh, the NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine. And then I landed a personal training job with one of my teacher's husbands. And that was just the icing on the cake that made me decide that I wanted to do personal training and go along with my passion of this. In the process of fast forward to senior year, I'm still working at the personal training studio. And I'm probably, I think I was 155, 160 pounds, nothing but, nothing but muscle at that point and the amount of like change that the coaches saw in me they they said it was night and day difference and that really that just those couple factors and those mentors that I got along the way with training with my mentor that I still hold close to me and I go to for all my information or a lot of like my questions and information uh really have made me want to spread what I learned 
and what I experienced, I know other people have experience, are experiencing it as well. And I just want to give them everything I didn't have. So that's really my... What are you going to call it? <clears throat> Working title, I don't know. Probably just Libertini LLC. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I don't, I don't know yet. That's one thing. I don't know any catchy names yet. Are you, are you trying to just contract yourself out or to create like a studio yourself? See, with the whole studio thing, at this day and age, it's probably not the best thing to go into studio-wise for personal training. At this point in time, it's usually the online personal training market is growing at an astronomical rate, whereas uh, studio training and one-on-ones... What is that? What do you mean online? Online. So all your clientele... You have this uh, website, and it, it's a programming website that you take in clients, you give them an assessment, you give them a personalized program, and you check in with them every day via text message or call, and then once or twice a week you have a video call to uh, see how progress is going, make sure uh, we have form down and all that stuff. It's not as personal as one-on-one, but the thing with online training online training it can be a little bit cheaper as well as less time consuming for me as the trainer what would you charge them so when i was at my first my first one-on-one personal training studio i was charging anywhere between 250 to 500 a month for training with that being said, I would probably go for the lower end or maybe even to start, I might make it cheaper just because this is a learning curve for me for the online personal training as opposed to the one-on-one. But I would probably start off at 150 a month and then slowly work my way up to probably the lower end of my one-on-one in-person training of 250. And what does that get people? Like, you know, so if that gets you again the assessment the personalized training as well as checkups every day video calls once or twice a week and nutrition plan sorry there's a pause i'm trying to think of no you're good you're good um my the goal that i'm shooting for for the end of this year is to actually work in a gym called apex sports over in sydney and i'm going to be a uh ath- or a uh, sports performance coach agility speed and agility coach for uh, soccer teams at this sports complex so that's my that's my first goal to start getting into building my business and getting everything go ahead have you taught people online before no that's why i would start at a lower price range because i know that this is a new uh new way of teaching for me so i know there's going to be a lot of learning curves for me as well so that's the that's the plan of charging less while trying my best to hash out all of the speed bumps and roadblocks along the way interesting I want to ask, like, have you found it to be effective, you know, like the online thing, but if you haven't done it. Yeah, that uh. <laughs> from from what I've seen from the statistics that I've been reading up on and all of that, it seems to be a very flourishing market. 
Worst comes to worst, if I don't like the online training style, I will go into contracting and then probably the studio. It's just with the studio, not a lot of people are shooting for personal training at this moment in time. It's more of a group training class because it's more inexpensive because more people can uh, do the class. So the barrier to entry is a little lower as well as it's a little less personalized at that point. So they get a cheaper price point for that. So I noticed you had uh, two tattoos. Uh, what are they? Okay. <laughs> I have eight tattoos. This one is on my right forearm is a scuba diver. On my left arm is an astronaut. I have my son's hand, footprint, and birth date on my left chest. And I have Mario and Luigi on my right quad and a anatomical brain inside of an anatomical heart on my calf as well as the Triforce symbol from The Legend of Zelda on my stomach. Uh, talk to me about the the uh, astronaut and the scuba diver. Okay. Why? So with these two, they're the opposite, but they're the same. They both live in places out of this universe because in the deep, deep ocean, it's like a whole different world as, a, as opposed to just a regular lake or a river or something like that, as well as space. I mean, space is freaking huge. So these are the final two frontiers. The, yes, basically. The deep ocean. And yes, the... yes, yes. And the thing with the astronaut is, we got, we all, we've all been striving to go to the moon. We had that big race between all the countries: is hey, who can get to the moon first? And this sort of signifies you can do whatever you put your mind to. Whereas the scuba diver is like as above, so below. There's always those downfalls and to not give up so those are my those are my forearm tattoos that's pretty sweet i think those are really awesome so this is something that uh this is actually really weird this is the first time that this ever happened to me um typically people ask you hey you know do you have any tattoos oh yeah you got tattoos let me see them okay I was at uh, this concert just the other day uh, with my sister. It was Vince Staples. And this is the first time this has ever happened to me in my whole entire life. These two girls, they just asked me if I had any tattoos. I said no. And instead of just leaving it there, they said, why not? <laughs> so, like, this is the first time I've ever had to think about this. So, like, I actually had to, like, kind of defend myself just not having tattoos. It was it was just so weird. But go, go ahead and why don't you have tattoos? <laughs> I don't, number one, because uh, I, here's the thing. I was going to get a tattoo. I have the very specific tattoo idea in my head. I've had the money for it. I've, I've, I've totally been able to do this. But I had this conversation with Cameron uh, after he first got his tattoo. Uh, Cameron, the same Cameron who uh, was our first interviewee on the podcast. And he told me just about how much his tattoos cost. And I was just like, no, <laughs> that was like the number one thing. But then number two, I always get afraid that like I'm going to get a tattoo and it's going to look really, really nice now. And then like by the time I'm 40, like like I think I've talked about the idea before. I want to get like a gigantic eagle uh, across like the breast of my chest, um, the breath of my chest, excuse me. And uh, it's pulling with its talons a gigantic great white shark out of the ocean. Like, that's the tattoo that I want across my chest. 
I'm just afraid about the, like the time that I'm 40 or something like that. It's going to be like a very, very sad eagle and a very, very like, like instead of the great, great white shark's teeth looking like angry and evil, it's going to be like smiling or like grinning. And then by the time I'm like 70, it's just going to be like a mess. You know? Well, I would think of it as a positive uh, <laughs> result if the shark is smiling. You know, that's kind of happy. I was Googling uh, astronauts from Ohio. Uh, oh, wow. You're talking oh, okay. about, you know, the Neil Armstrong and John Glenn. Yeah. Guys to walk on the moon, both from Ohio. Oh, wow. Um, we have, for a while, we had the most astronauts, like, that exist i think that we still might have the most people to walk on the moon uh new york now apparently has the most astronauts so we're slacking we do have the second most presidents right i'm not sure we've had a lot yeah ohio is a very special place it really really is uh one of the reasons i think why it is such a special place and this is a little weird little like things you're gonna have to bear with me here but um at the founding of our country Ohio was the westernmost frontier. It uh, at the time when like we we first captured it from Britain uh, in the Treaty of Paris eighteen or seventeen eighty one, no state had officially laid claim to it. Other states had laid claim to places like Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, what would later become Louisiana or uh, Mississippi and Alabama. People had already laid claim to them, but no one had claimed to Ohio. But there were still American settlers moving there. Okay, some of these people who were moving there. Uh, especially during that interwar period between, um, I guess we should say, between uh, 1781 and uh, about seven, 1790s, the founding of the Constitution, uh, of our country. These people, living completely outside of, of government rule or anything like that, were some of the most industrious people to, to ever kind of... <laughs> they were some of the most industrious settlers ever, Okay. Like folks in I would say that people example, from Ohio always have been the most industrious people. I, I really do think so. Like I think of uh, the folks who went to California, for example, uh, during the 1848 and 1849 gold rush. They went because there was gold. To get rich off of gold, you have to dig the gold up out of the ground or catch it flowing through a river and then go to market and sell it. <laughs> And that's how you get rich off of gold. Just have to make sure nobody robs you on the way there. Um, you could go to Arkansas, for example, and find diamonds. To get rich off of diamonds, you have to just go dig up the diamonds, which is difficult, don't get me wrong. But then you just you know, go bring it to market, and then now you're rich. The people who moved to the, the places in between a lot of these very like big, huge wealth cash grab areas, they went to these places for two reasons bountiful farmland and rivers to float it so it was easier to move these people were so smart and so amazing they actually really made like america in a, in a whole different sense the people who moved to the midwest but particularly first it was ohio just the ability to float things down float them down in the mississippi float them down through louisiana and everything like that it it was so important for our economy. That was one of the reasons why uh, Jefferson wanted to uh, do the Louisiana Purchase. He was just so excited to see. That was such a good deal. It oh, really man. was. It really was. But he was just so excited to see. He's like, this farming lifestyle. Because what was that? 1803 when he bought it? I have no idea. It was either 1803 or 1801. Ohio was founded in 1803. So we were the people he was looking at when he said, oh, my God. 
Napoleon's gonna give us Louisiana. Look at Ohio. Just think of what we could do if we had what eighty Ohio's. Or it's probably an overestimate, but in terms of the land mass, uh, just so much more <laughs> that land. probably is an overestimate. <laughs> yeah. But just so much more land, so much more opportunity to like expand that sort of agrarian lifestyle, and that's what really Ohio was really founded on. Well, and then we then we were the industrial boom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the gem city is the city of a, of a thousand lights because mm-hmm. of all of our thousand factories, you know, all of our uh, all of our uh, industrial businesses. Um, I love Ohio. The steel industry uh, throughout this entire region you know, from Pennsylvania uh, here in Ohio, Michigan, over into Indiana uh, was huge. Even even some of the like uh, Wisconsin, uh, just the whole Great Lakes region, steel industry was huge. Um, we ran stuff up through the St. Lawrence uh, Seaway. We uh, after that, immediately after that, just like the the car, the auto industry. Talk talk a bit about that because I know you know a lot more about uh, um, Ohio and the auto industry with the. Uh, like what well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. Most of the yeah. most of the things that I mean, the fact that you have a radio in the car, the fact that you've got the electric car <laughs> starter, quick drying paint, um, modern but, gasoline, like just to illustrate air this, conditioning. Before the electric car starter, you had to you know before you started your car, you had car. to crank something. Yeah. Like like if you've ever been in one of those old school uh, cars that has windows. That don't have uh, like a more automatic electric like window thing that you know you just hit a button it goes down you hit a button it goes up, you know you have to crank your windows up and down. It yeah. was like that. You had to do that for the engine of your car so it would have energy to move. Well, like, and those insane. those were very dangerous. Um, you know, people would break their arms or uh, or people would die. I mean, the the reason that Charles Kettering and Colonel Deeds um, were set off on the task of creating the uh, electric car starter was that one of the in, the guy who owned Cadillac one of his friends uh, died he knocked his jaw off trying to start the car and it backfired and he said oh my gosh this isn't going to work we need a better way and wow. uh, it just so happened that Kettering had uh, all of the knowledge. He, he, having been tasked with electrifying the cash register, was like the kind of the only guy that knew about little electrified motors uh, to operate things. Uh, and Colonel Deeds said, uh, said to, uh, on your gold rush thing, mm-hmm. uh, said to, um, Kettering, you know, there's a river of gold flowing past us. We just have to, you know, dip our hands in and, uh, like you said, sluice some of it our way. Sleuth. Sleuth. Not sleuth. No. no. Like sluice. Something like that. Sluice. I'm not sure. But, you know, and he said, you know, we just have to get, we have to go, we have to just dip our hands in and and splash a little bit of the gold our way. And that's what they did. Sluice. Um, And and (laughs) so... The Cadillac guy put out a feelers for this kind of technology, and, and they created it. And there was, they, they weren't the only ones doing it, um, but they were the ones that did it the best. That that's also something that's true about Ohio. Uh, 
I think of the Wright brothers. That that's very similar with their story with flight. Yeah, you don't have to be, although the Wright brothers were the first, um, you don't have to be the first person to invent something um, to be the success. You have to do it the best. You can be a millionaire as a janitor as long as you are the best janitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't think about that. People are like, oh, well, it's already been done. Yeah, but it's okay. It's already been done, so you're thinking in the right way because if somebody's already done it, then they prove that it's viable they made money doing it Uh, a really fun game i like to play uh is just try to invent pick a company that exists and think about like if you're pretend you're an executive of the company and invent something that the company needs if you invent something that's already exist that already exists one time i accidentally invented the credit card took me like two hours then i realized oh that's a credit card but if you invent something that, and I was delighted, if you invent something that already exists, then you're thinking the right way. That's how, that means you're playing the game right, because if, if the thing that you've thought of has already been thought of and put out into the market, uh, then it's a success, and so you're thinking the right way. What what I meant uh, when I when I mentioned the Wright brothers, uh, how that, that's very similar to. Um... Uh, Patterson with the electric motors is that they were not the first individuals to try to start uh, powered flight. No, they were. Um, and, and in addition to that, they were the least funded out of all the people that I know of. They like, were all, all the, the least funded, like all out of all the, uh, of all the organizations and institutions and governments that were involved in flight. Like I think, I think the government of France they had, they had at least three different groups of people that they had been sponsoring to master powered flight. Like, th- th- just, just think about that. The government of what was, at the time, the strongest uh, the strongest land army, the most professional land army, um, the, the wealthiest and, no, I think the second uh, strongest uh, industrial economy in Europe at the time, probably the strongest and the second strongest in the world. Right behind, no, probably third behind Great Britain or Germany and us. Um, they sponsored three different teams of people to create Power Flight and some random dudes in a bicycle shop <laughs> in Ohio <laughs> got there first. Simon Sinek uh, does a really good <laughs> TED talk about this exact thing. He expresses that if you want to truly succeed, you want people to buy your thing. Uh, then you've got to master your why. You know, why do you do what you do? Not what do you do or how do you do it, but why? Because it, in the whole, uh, what, what he asserts is that we aren't buying what, uh, we're buying why. Um, and he talks about the Wright brothers. The reason that they succeeded and all these other people didn't uh, is the why. They weren't trying to get rich or be famous. They wanted to, if they, they knew that if they could figure out this technology, they would change the world in a positive way. Um, and he talks in his, in his TED talk about uh, there's a guy who was funded by uh, the U.S. government and by um, the Smithsonian. And the day the Wright brothers flew for the first time 
that guy who was the most well-funded, had all the information, just quit. Because he wanted to become very wealthy and, and famous. He wanted it for selfish reasons. His why was not something that will withstand. Um, and in part, I mean, the Wright brothers, you could argue, succeeded because they didn't have all that funding. And they didn't have any time to do it in. So everything they did had to count. And as a result, uh, there couldn't be a whole lot of waste in the avenues they pursued or the things that they created trying to invent flight. It's an asset. Yeah, they, what, is, what do they say? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. The idea that you know you're up against the wall... There's, you know, there's only so much left. <laughs> it really does. Pressure makes diamonds, you know? Yeah, pressure really makes does. diamonds. That's a perfect way to put it. So we've really talked a lot about Ohio. We've talked a little bit about your business. I want to get back to your business just just for a second. So you've made this website to help average people look through the laws of the city yes of their city yeah what are you working on now that that is up and running are you just maintenance doing maintenance on the website or are you pushing to uh put something else out there sales uh right now we're focusing on selling it to cities okay um at this point our our product is ready um but we have to build out our sales team okay okay so so what is that looking like right now? A lot of research, uh, as with everything that I do. Um, we've been doing a lot of uh, research on cities and how they operate to figure out uh, who those key players are that make that, make that sales decision uh, when it comes to codifying the, the code book. Okay, okay. Yeah, you definitely got to know your target market. So what is the average day of your life? Average day of my life? Yes. I don't have any average days. Um, <laughs> I love it. I, I don't know. I mean, I wake up. I have a list of things to accomplish. I work at, I also, I work at Chase. Um, I'm a bank teller. Uh, this will be interesting to listen to again in like five years. Um, tell, tell me about your tea. The tea that you often have with folks. I used I don't drink tea as much anymore. I used to be really big into tea. Um, there's a wonderful tea shop in Oakwood uh, called Central Perk, and around the time that oh, uh, you asked somebody asked earlier how I got really interested in Dayton. I've always been interested in Dayton, but uh, I don't believe in bad things, so I channel um, unhappiness into something positive as much as I can. So. Uh, around the time that I was no longer dating the girl that I was dating when I was a freshman, um, I started reading books about Dayton, uh, and I would uh, be having tea in in Oakwood uh, every every opportunity I got. Okay. Um, I really like caffeine. Not anymore. <laughs> um, I, I quit quit drinking caffeine, but I used to. I would drink a pot of tea every day. Oh my gosh! Uh, I couldn't. I for a while it was two, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and I would not like leave my home until I had had my morning pot of tea. Tea is a really, um, 
it's an educational drink, honestly, because you you learn quite a bit. One of my favorite things is to, uh, you know, learn about where the tea was sourced from, and then the history of 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 you know the rituals behind whatever kind of tea. Um, there's a wonderful company in uh, New York called Serendipity, and they're a uh, they're a really big tea importer. Um, so I always like to order boxes of stuff from them. But I um, I had to quit drinking tea. I went, I was on vacation with my girlfriend in uh, Michigan. We were at her godfather's lake house on Lake Michigan this summer. And I literally couldn't function every morning until oh we had had breakfast. And I was, had drank a full pot of tea. I, I just couldn't function. And I realized I was like, this isn't fair uh, to her, first of all, and it's not conducive to success, you know? Mm -hmm. And at some point in my life, uh, this might be okay now, but at some point I'm going to have kids and it's not going to be an option to be like, get the fuck away from me. I I haven't had a pot pot of tea. tea. Yeah. You're going to need to wait another hour before we can talk. Like that's not going to work. Of course. Right. So, uh, so I quit drinking tea. Uh, it took me eight days, which was nothing. I thought it would be worse. Yeah, really. That doesn't sound like really thought it would be harder. But what I did uh, was I, I had gone under for a procedure in August and um so they gave me a bunch of fentanyl and uh and benzodiazepines all the fun stuff uh and i couldn't eat or drink anything till 11 o'clock that morning right and then they drug me up and then i go home and um that was day one i because i knew i'd be so drugged up that i wasn't going to notice yeah so i didn't drink tea that day and then I ordered a small cup the next day as opposed to my normal large. And then I just would drink less and less for eight days until it was one sip the last day. And then I was done. I really thought it was going to be harder than that. Yeah, no, it definitely. I mean, because caffeine is one of the most addicting things yeah. in this world, you know? I've I've been addicted to and then quit caffeine twice. Mm-hmm. But I, I always pick. I, I get something to help me. So... Uh, the first time I was addicted to coffee, uh, you know, I drank a shit ton of coffee. Uh, and then when my girlfriend and I broke up, I didn't eat or drink anything for three days, including coffee. And then I just never picked it up again. And it was perfect. Um, and then I, so I knew I, I needed something to throw me out of my routine to quit with the tea. And so in August, that just lined up. That's awesome. I mean, just the dependency that you can grow drinking tea or, I mean, even though marijuana isn't per se an addictive drug, some people can become dependent on it depending on how much they smoke and all that good stuff. So, I mean, I myself have been addicted to caffeine and that process for me because I drank caffeine my whole entire life was just freaking so difficult for me it took probably a couple i think it was like a month and a half of me just agonizing one less drink it's so painful for me that type of thing and it was fucked up dude it was terrible i'm imagining like an amazing docuseries you guys ever remember uh supersize me 
the thing where the guy the McDonald's one. Yeah, the yeah. the guy um, forced himself to eat uh, McDonald's food for some amount of time and every he, day for a month, I think it was. So, yeah, something like that. And he like he he recorded everything that was going on in his life. He went to his doctor regularly. I can just imagine an absolutely hilarious and amazing docu series where someone like gets themselves addicted to various kinds of things, and then the docu series is. You know, like a, a montage of them getting addicted to it. And then the actual series is day one of them trying to kick the addiction. <laughs> and you go to like, you know, day 90 or I don't even know. I mean, I bet there's studies exactly like that. I bet that right. there are legitimate like uh, clinical studies where they've been like, let's get somebody addicted to something. And then let's right. see. So I bet I bet if you pick the right university, you could go and find tapes of this exact kind of a thing. Right. This has got to be a thing. But I, I just thought of it. This would be amazing as a TV show. So many people would watch this. Like, like I think uh, here, here's what I'm imagining. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's relatable. Exactly. I'm thinking we could get like some big name people. We get like a like a Dr. Phil kind of guy in here. Okay. And we could have them sit down with these people regularly and be like, have you ever thought about how your family felt about this? And, you know, just like ask like all kinds of these questions like that. We get them to sit down with like a like an Oprah type person. Are you doing this with drug addicts or caffeine addicts? Like regular people. Regular people. They go and they get addicted to various things. So So we get them addicted to drugs. They they volunteer to be addicted. Tom, Tom, don't be so aggressive with your language here. We're not force. We're not injecting people with heroin. We're getting people to inject themselves with heroin for money. It's like the opposite of heroin dealing. Um. (laughs) They pay you. No, we pay them. Oh yeah, no, I get it. We pay them to get high on camera for a certain amount of time, and then we keep paying them to stop doing the drugs that that's the, the real opposite of heroin dealing right there you pay people to stop doing drugs but um i can just imagine that being an awesome tv show i don't know that just struck me right there i'm gonna i'm gonna try to run with that okay <laughs> so you asked nico a couple questions about him you got any questions for me i remember you i know i feel like i know quite a bit about you now mm-hmm. hmm really you do i don't know i feel like i do yeah mm-hmm. How many siblings do you have? I have two. You have a sister. I have a sister and I have a brother. Is the brother older? Yeah, both are older. Uh, sister's eldest. I hear your sister mentioned more than I ever hear about your brother. Well, that's probably because my brother's away and uh, me and my sister always butt heads constantly. So I'm probably like, oh, my sister. Where is he away? He uh, he lives in Akron, Ohio right now. Why? Uh, he was working with the football coaching staff up there nice. uh, and going to school. Did he graduate? Almost. <laughs> he's, he's still going to school now. He has, a, I think, just a course or two that left before he nice. officially graduates. Uh, Good for him. That's awesome. Since I already mentioned it, I think a couple weeks ago, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Uh, he told us that he graduated last semester, you know, here at the <laughs> – Tom rolls his eyes audibly. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, he told us that he graduated, and we celebrated and everything. We went up to this nice restaurant up there in Akron. And then he <laughs> he comes back like a couple months later. He's like, yeah. So you guys know I've been working more and taking on this other job. Yeah, I'm just doing that so I can pay for school. I'm almost graduated. I promise. It was it was so so funny. What did your parents say? That's very troubling. They were really mad, but like like this. They told me the second they hung up the phone, they cracked up laughing. Like <laughs> that's why he got another job. Like. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, at least he's paying for it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... 
That's good. It'd be one thing if he was like, hey, guys, I need a, I need a couple thousand dollars this month. And they're like, what for? And he just doesn't tell them. That would be a whole different situation. But, uh, but yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what do you know about me? Um, well, I know that you're from Inglewood. Or I guess you would then say Clayton. <coughs> Clayton. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I was waiting for. That was a little loud, my bad. Yeah, yeah. I think that you're studying marketing. Okay. Am I right? No. Oh, what are you studying? Econ- oh, f- oh f- I forgot. You do the finance thing. <laughs> I do economics, actually. You're studying economics specifically? Yes. I, Talk economics. to me about the uh, American... Uh, that's not the word. What is the... Uh, you were studying for the Series 6 and the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Talk to me about that. The company was called Transamerica. There it is. Uh, under the under the larger company, WFG, World Financial Group. Um I believe my license is not up until what? What will it be? April? Yeah, April of next year. So I'm still currently a licensed financial advisor. Wow. Um, I've I've made so little progress, uh, you know, towards getting some of the better licenses. That was my stomach. Now, oh, now, now I now thought it was wolf. a dog. Yeah, I know, it really sounded like a howling wolf. Um. I've made so little progress. Uh, I've really wanted to. I wanted to get back into it this winter break that just passed, but I had immediate mon- monetary concerns, so I just had, I just got like a little job. Uh, went back to a Panera for a little about while, but then I started up here at Kroger. Um, oh, you're at Kroger now, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working at Kroger now. Yeah. And you're enjoying it? Oh yeah, I love ClickList. It's it's a lot of fun. It's the online service. So uh, we oh do, nice. We do two things. We go out and shop for people basically, and then we come out and load them up uh, as they pull into our parking lot. It's fun. Does Kroger's offer delivery service yet? Not officially through the store, but they have this. They had some people set up an app that essentially operates like a Grubhub app. Somebody comes in, some like random person who who uses the app signs in, comes into the store. Gets all your stuff, drives it to your house at a specific time. So yeah, Kroger's is a good company. It's an Ohio company. Yeah, Cincinnati, like man. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. One of the things is I'm really bad at talking about myself. So I found that I really come off as like a like a fairly shut. And I don't mean to say shallow, um, but like a fairly like monodimensional person. <laughs> like like a people people talk with me and they they act like they have me figured out like they act like I they know like what, well, what do you what want do. people to know about you what questions do oh, you want me to ask there what, you go there what you have go. I not asked um, that I should what are your career goals or something like okay that? what are uh, your career goals uh okay that that's, that's <laughs> question one uh then I guess what, what what occupies you most of your free time or something like that or? okay actually I'm more interested in that than the career goals okay okay so, what occupies you most in your free time Okay, it's three things. Uh, uh, we only get to pick one. Oh, okay. That's that's true. That's we true. said most. Um, I am enamored with geopolitics. Nice. Um, and uh, is this a troubling time for you? Have you noticed everything that's going on? I mean, this whole Trump scenario is playing out yeah. in across the globe. You know, uh, in countries like Brazil. Yeah. Uh, in France, yeah. goddamn Brexit. Yeah, is that troubling? Like, what do you, okay. what do you take it? What do you make of that? So the first thing that I would do is I would say that uh, this isn't a Trump thing. Uh, I think the media here in our country, uh, we really fall in love with personality to a degree that that we think that individuals are influencing things that are going on in the world. When largely, especially in a country like America, 
like business is is number the number one mover in terms of like our national interest and and what really gets done at the end of the day i'm not like one of those kind of like grim like oh i believe in the real po- real politique uh like that's a european way of saying it but nice. like, i i don't believe like this real this grim politique. like will of nations or anything like that but i do believe that you know largely like if vladimir putin for example were to be hit by a car this is a saying people say from time to time another ex-KGB Kremlin guy would just step up and he would operate essentially the same way Vladimir Putin operates. Maybe he'd give a couple different speeches. Maybe uh, he would decide to do things in a slower or more accelerated manner. But largely speaking, you know, Russia kind of has its interests. And largely speaking, either it's going to you know succeed in fulfilling those interests or it's going to fail and it's going to suffer. Does that make sense? So what's going on in Brazil? What's going on in Russia, Europe, Brexit, here in America? Like if Hillary Clinton were to be elected, we wouldn't have been pulling back from like the world order probably until like the next four years, like probably around 2022. But the fact that it was Trump, we started pulling out of the world order in 2017. You know what I mean? At least that's the way I see it. I think, uh, I think the the reason that things in the world have been going the way they've been going, uh, the Europeans kind of pulled out their military uh, um, requirements. Let's say uh, the the. Uh, let me step back. The, the point of a military alliance uh, is to to have two different militaries or more that are aligned against an enemy. The Europeans kind of disintegrated their militaries after the Soviet Union fell. They focused all their economies on, like, you know, social welfare, social spending. That's why, you know, (laughs) quality of life can be much, much better there than it can be here. And they didn't necessarily see eye to eye with us on a lot of our different national security interests. Like, I think uh, France and, like, maybe a couple other nations were, like, very gung-ho with us when it came to the, uh, I don't know what to call them, the wars on terror, wars on terror, excuse me. And that really kind of showed a rift there between us and the Europeans. And now that Russia's kind of becoming more aggressive, <laughs> most of the European powers aren't really doing much of anything in terms of you know, showing force against Russia's aggression. Right now, the only, <laughs> the only remnants of the NATO alliance in terms of actual military numbers are United States, Poland, Hungary, and Romania. So do you think all this is like a good thing though? I mean, how how what is your feeling on it? Oh god, my feeling? I am I am I got into politics because I was like I'm a green energy fanatic. I'm I'm personally like a fairly very left-wing guy. I this world is terrible. Like I thought I lived in a world where like after the Soviet Union fell, I really thought that things were going to be like radically different about the world. And that humans were going to be able to do all kinds of great and cool things. <sighs> I thought the 2020s were going to be like a space race age. We were going to start mining asteroids. The first trillionaire would be named and things would be just so much different and so much better. But what's really happening is history is kind of going to come back. You know, uh, nations are kind of operating in, in their national interest in a way that they haven't since, I don't know, before World War Two. And it's business as usual, you know. 
So I, I feel it's very grim. I feel terrible about it, actually. But that's what occupies most of my free time. I'm so, okay, so what else on that list? World. So I said you had to pick one, but okay, now that we've gone <laughs> through that, I'm ready to hear the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so immediately after that, um, I would say anthropology, not just history, but anthropology. So just humans and how society operates. Uh, I've always kind of been a little, a little socially awkward. Like not not awkward, but uh, I've always felt like I like I, I never really belonged too much. So what this always like gave me is like this ability to kind of like look at things and just see how and why people do what they do. Keep that. Thank you. I try. I try. Uh, it kind of sucks. It makes me kind of hard to be around, um, which kind of feeds into the the social awkwardness. It, I it's think like that a... you perceive that. I don't think it's real. Oh well. Well, thank you. Uh, I've gotten better at least let me let me definitely tell you that because I was for a while I was like that like kid who literally had no friends like that was like an actual thing Nico is very upset he is remember remember middle school I'm your day one, homie. you are my day one absolutely forever how long have you guys known each other since, I was since diapers nice. man yeah his family moved in next door and it's been a uh, we have old videos of like me when I'm a little two-year-old baby on our various vacations and I'm just like I want to go home and play with Enzo, Nico, and Rock. Wait, Rocco wasn't. Rocco wasn't, he, Rocco wasn't a thing yet. Rocco was an infant. No, 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 no. You and your brother have O names. Uh, Enzo, Nico, and Rocco. All There's three of them. Three. Yeah. <laughs> Enzo's eldest. Uh, Rocco's youngest. Go ahead. Yeah. It's very Italian of you. So we have my oldest brother, Vincenzo Luigi Libertini. We have me, Nico Valentino Libertini. And then my little brother Rocco Xavier Libertini. So yeah, that's the three Libertini boys. You guys Catholic? Yeah, born into Catholic. I don't really agree with uh structured like the church and structured religion, so I don't know what I am technically. You haven't decided? No. Well you're young, you don't have to. Yeah, I know. I, I haven't got to that point yet, but I don't I don't think I'll I don't even know if I'd, I'll, I would ever go to an organized religion again just because there's it's run by people and people are flawed and people put their own views and, uh, and egos into a structured group that they create. You know what I'm saying? So I can't necessarily subscribe to that fact, but I also don't believe that if you are a religious person that you don't have to go to an organized religion to practice uh, religion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Marcus, what do you think about that? Uh, I guess to, uh, to, to put it a different way, it's that uh, I, this, this might be the, the language might be a little um, what's the word coded here, but like uh, uh, you can be spiritual without being religious not coded what's the what's the phrase uh no. when like uh words are carrying certain kinds of baggage connotation yeah yeah like well, there, there's a bit of a connotation when people say the word spiritual they mean like not believing in anything specific just kind of like there's a higher being a higher power the universe, the universe. That, that's typically what people mean when they say i like spiritual. the universe i um, think the universe wants good things for you 
okay. for everyone. Okay. Um, but but you can well, you can be say you can say that I believe in God or you know you can even say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but just be a spiritual person if that makes sense. Um, what do I think about that? Um, I'm definitely religious. I'm definitely a Christian. I don't. How many religions have you studied? Uh, how many religions have I studied? In depth. In depth? Uh, zero. Uh, Including got, Christianity? I am in the process of studying Christianity. I'm actually in a Bible study group. Um, I am tardy, let's say. Because um, my, my friends that kind of got me involved in the Bible study group as they were already kind of, let's say, halfway through Genesis. And it's kind of been sporadic, uh, if that makes sense. But but no, I, I, am, I am in the process of studying the Bible um, to understand it more. Um, I like Shintoism as well, uh, and Taoism, um, I think j- just like Japanese thought is very interesting. I, I love, this is one particular proverb or not proverb. Um, this one particular idea that kind of lines up with Christianity very well. Um, and it essentially means that, uh, to sin isn't to do something wrong or it isn't to uh isn't simply to do something wrong or isn't um it isn't something immoral uh sin sin is actually an archery term and what it means is to miss due to improper aim improper aim technique so it's not just that you know your arrow missed the mark it's not just that you you weren't doing things right it's that like you that that to 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 truly sin to truly do something that is unholy or you know not not in the uh, righteous way, is to not be prepared in a sense. I don't. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of bastardizing it here, but it's it's essentially like to sin is to not practice and to sin is to not uh, try, because because the idea is if you're aiming an arrow properly, and you miss. You, you still gave it your best shot. You know, maybe there were some other things going on, but you, you did what you did your part properly. So to be a righteous person, it's to do your part properly. And I really, really like that. Okay. It's kind of, it's kind of warming. Cause it's like, even if you miss, even if you didn't get there, you're fine. Cause you, you did what you could and you did it right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I no, know. I think that's pretty neat. I, I um, see. I see what you mean. So, wow! Uh, outside of anthropology, uh, I play video games. Those are the three things. Nice. <laughs> video games are a lot less interesting than geoeconomics or geopolitics. Excuse me. Well, and, I think uh, video games can be pretty interesting, but yeah, yeah. Um, what do you guys play? I'm assuming you both play the same things. No. We used to play the same games all the time. I would love to come over to their house because my mom was very, very strict with the amount of games we could have and how how long we could play them and how often. But um, they had an amazing catalog of games. Like, first off, I I always had PlayStation products. They they always had or Sony products. They always had a Xbox, which is Microsoft, right? Why didn't you start switching to Microsoft or him start switching to PlayStation? Yeah, yeah, you guys did have a PS2, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't making any purchasing decisions. <laughs> hmm. But, um, I mean, in some way you must. You know, you say, Mom and Dad, hey, I, this is what's in. No, no. It wasn't like a... Let me put it like this. It was like a maybe 
a yearly thing. Like maybe at Christmas I could get a game. It was like that. Okay. Um, they were much more willing to get me toys or like something that would be like physical and get me active, you know, which, which was nice. And I actually do kind of thank them because I could, I could have turned out to be like a very different person if I had lived a different kind of life, you know, and I'm glad that, how should I put it? I'm glad that like everything that led here happened because I like being me. Yeah, no, yeah. that's the way to yeah. be. That's the right. That's the right way to think about stuff. People have, yeah. our brains are wired to um, be happy with whatever situation that we're in, uh, as long as it's permanent. So whatever aspect is permanent of it, we're fine with it. We're like, yeah, that's most of the time. I, mean, I guess some people will be like, oh, I hate this, and then they spiral into crippling depression, but. Um, for the most part, I mean, our brains are designed to help us be happy with, uh, the situation that we're in. Um, me, I am really into RPG games. Like uh, what? Skyrim, Fallout, uh, Assassin's Creed. Never PC. You guys always oh, did. I got a, I got a nice gaming PC in my, in my, uh, office, but. Something that's actually really funny, now that you mention it, um, going all the way through till, like, I guess I would say, like, mid to late adolescence, uh, which is the period I'm in now, or we're in now, mid to late adolescence, it was always console. But around the time mid-adolescence hit, then it's, it shifted to PC. Did, did you see that same thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> that was but, fun to watch. <laughs> I know, I... Like I said on uh, the episode before this, I'm getting a new setup with the rest of my tax money, so it'll be a lot more convenient for when we have guests. I thought, I thought you said you were saving uh, 85%, you said, of your tax money. Okay. I still got Okay. Tax is huge. Okay. It's interesting how people think about taxes. I know. Yeah. Well... I actually feel bad when I have a big tax. You return. should be unhappy to yeah, ever get no. money back. No, I I completely <laughs> I completely agree with that. The only reason why I'm sort of not unhappy, it's most of it was because of my child. I got to claim my child this year, so I withheld more taxes. But yet I'm still in a how shitty does that position. work? You both get to claim no. him as a dependent. No, only so, one of you. I am split from his mother, and we had legally legal documents signed that. Every other year, I would get to oh. claim him on my taxes, and this was my year to claim him on taxes. So, yeah, we it's we got a bunch of legal documents hashing out all the rules and regulations of child care expenses, all that crap. So, interesting. But yeah, no, with I I have all my the eighty five percent in my savings. I still have yeah. a decent amount. I still have a decent amount left over that. I can spend people on think it. about their taxes as found money and they, they think of no. this as uh you know an extra paycheck i guess uh but it's not i mean it's no. our, it, that is the money that you already earned that you gave to the government at zero percent interest all year yeah um which is fine i mean i think that as I personally believe that as a whole the government uh, does good things with our tax money more often than not, and, and that these things help us all. But people, I mean, it's still better to have had that money yourself. Oh, exactly. Because uh, then you can earn interest on it throughout the year. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like I was saying, uh, 
I did. I actually did feel. I always feel bad when I get money back just because I know I did not make a enough to be able to pay taxes as opposed to receive. You know what I'm saying? Like my mom and dad, they're in the position where they didn't. They had to pay taxes into instead of getting money out because they are in that higher income range as opposed to me where I'm in the. That's not why. That's not. No. You're getting money back because you've paid too much in tax. Oh. You've paid more than is your fair share. And that overpayment, they've the government has had all year uh, and been doing whatever they want with it, and now they owe it back to you. The reason your parents pay tax at the end of the year is because they've underpaid all year. They haven't paid enough. Oh. But you would rather be the person who's paying than the person who's getting it back if you structure everything properly because if you're the one paying that means instead of you giving the government an interest-free loan all year you are yourself keeping the money are able to generate interest off of it uh, and then are paying the money that you owe and see uh here's here's the amazing thing that like they always say that knowledge is power and this is very very true and here's here's one of the reasons why if you are if you are the type of person who knows, you know, on on the whole, what your expenses are going to be for the year, uh, how much money you're going to be bringing in for the year. Say you say you own a, a business or you you work a regular steady job, and you know that these are going to be what what like your figures are going to be at the end of the year. You can actually measure this. Like you can actually set aside the amount of money that uh, that will be necessary at at some some interest rate, whatever have you. You can set it aside and watch it grow the entirety of the year and see exactly like like dollar for dollar how much money uh what what your what your would be tax payment would be uh how much money that can earn you in within that year April 17th or is it April 17th or I don't know April, April 17th to April 17th like you can actually measure that and it's really really cool I know this guy he uh I don't know if he still does it but uh he does my uh he does my friend's parents. He does their taxes and all their stuff like that. I had a conversation with him once, and he was just saying, like, that he does this, this fun thing every year where he just tries to, like, guess how much he's supposed to be paying in taxes. You know, he, he knows that, of course, like Tom said, he's going to be underpaying now, and he's going to be paying more money back later. So uh, an anti-refund. I don't know. Like, what would you call that? What? When you pay money to the government? Oh, when you file your taxes? Paying your taxes. <laughs> That's a sign that I'm tired. Most um, people do estimate, well, not most people, people who don't yeah. work a steady job, people who are like retired or who are mm-hmm. uh, like contractors, uh, people that own their own business will pay estimated income tax. Right, right. Quarterly. Yeah. It's just they generally underpay, and those are the people who you see needing to pay at the end of the year. But that, again, if you operate properly, which no one does, but if you do, mm-hmm. then that is that's the the far better way uh to owe money at the end of the year yeah, it's just like a powerful thing to just see like those dollars rake in that, that you wouldn't be getting but people don't you think about I mean? it right like for instance uh nico this is a good question to ask you what is better if i have a hundred thousand dollars in cash and i want to buy a house should I buy the $100,000 house or should I take the mortgage and then have to pay interest on the amount that I've spent on the, on the, on the value of the house? 
I think it would be the mortgage. I don't know. I I well, most I people would, would say, be. you know, if I have a hundred thousand dollars, so I can either buy the house or I can or take I could, a loan. Yeah. Pay yeah, I'll pay ten thousand dollars, then I'll take a loan. But over the course of the loan, I'm going to pay like twice the value of the house, right? Of those two, which would you think is better? Well, the just paying it all up front. And most people would say that. Yeah, but but if you invested, the a mortgage is going to go at like four percent or five percent right now. If you invested the hundred thousand dollars in uh, an S and P five hundred fund, you know something that mirrors that. Um, on average, you're going to get 10% a year versus 5% a year. And in 30 years, you'll have a million dollars in a house uh, and you'll have still paid for the house three times over, but you'll also have a million dollars additional on top of that okay. from the invested money. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. But compound interest people don't think about it right uh the quickest way to build wealth is to leverage your uh your credit leverage your that your assets and your credit i guess really all right let's learn something new this is why tom's one of my favorite people he's he's just a reservoir you you can just you just come in whenever and and drink <laughs> One of my friends told me um, a few weeks ago that having a conversation with me, if you haven't had an existential crisis, I will cause you to have one. So to have a conversation with me, you have to be like really sure of yourself because if you're not, I will cause you to question it. And that's hard for a lot of people. I, I once had this like amazing idea to like completely reform America's school systems. And like one day, uh, before a club meeting I just like came in, Tom was there earlier and I'm like, dude, this this just makes so much sense. Like this is just what we need to do. It'll be so much better. And just like coldly he just was like bang, bang, bang. That's a terrible idea, Marcus. <laughs> I mean he said it in made a much in a slightly kinder way, let's say. Slightly <laughs> kinder. But but Well uh, the point of it isn't to say yeah. this is a bad idea, but it's to cause you to think about um the idea as a whole. It's probably a good idea, but you need to you need to know what's wrong with it so that you can defend it. And if there's too many things wrong with it so that you can change your idea. Exactly. And and this is this is what I, I actually have to thank you. Uh oh you're welcome. Because, <laughs> because I don't know what for, but you're welcome. Specifically just at our last uh, meeting meeting that we had just about a week ago on Monday, um, we talked about that business idea I mentioned to you. Ah, oh, the yeah. conveyor. Or no, you, no. It was, oh. Yeah, yeah, the business idea that we talked about. Um, immediately after uh, I got out of my classes, I went to go hang out with a buddy before uh, I was planning on going to a Thursday night meeting, but a bunch of other things happened. Um, or, Sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah, man. Uh, it do. Just fast forward three days th to that Thursday. Um, I'm in my friend's house, um, and he's told me so much about his dad. His dad's a total jerk. He doesn't, he really, he's, he's a terrible person. I, I run into his dad for the first time ever, and he's like, oh, yeah, Eugene's told me a bit about you. I'm like, okay, so what do you do? You just dropped your friend's name in there. <laughs> oh, I mean, shh. The point is, uh, <laughs> he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, I'm an electrical engineer. And I'm like, oh, like I just talked with Tom and uh, Tariq, and this is 
the person that I need to talk to. I need to talk to an electrical engineer. I say, oh, yeah, so what did you study? And he's like, yeah, you know, I really started, you know, with a background in physics. I'm like, oh. As many electrical engineers do. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, what was your, like, like, what was your interest? Like, what was your focus? What did you want to do with that? He says, man, I really, I really thought uh, electromagnets were such a cool thing. <laughs> and <laughs> Tom's shaking his head because he knows. Uh, all around you all the time, there yeah. are things just like this. You just have to go out and talk and then you'll find them. And, and, but, but here's the thing that I have to thank you for where I was at in my, my ideation process for the business, I was purely thinking that like, I, I needed to talk to a mechanical engineer. I need to talk to someone and I need to prototype this and I need to like visualize it and I need to run with it. Then I had no idea that I wasn't even asking myself the right questions or thinking about the problem in the right way until you kind of like you you and Tariq kind of like coldly like went point by point on the idea and we're like these are the things you really need to focus on these these are the things you know these are the things you do not know and and you put my focus well I, I clearly need to think about this idea more I need to talk to an electrical engineer and nice. I, I probably wouldn't have even asked I, mean, I may have asked those questions like oh what do you study or what do you do you know or what was your major, you know, in high school? I don't know. I don't know what the interaction would have gone like, but it definitely would not have gone the amazing way that it did uh, after our conversation. There's things like that all the time. I had an experience like that um, with Barn Gang early on in its in its concept. Um, we realized we needed to go to like city council meetings and see you know what the workings of of how does an ordinance become a law? Like how does that happen? And the very first one, the very first Centerville City Council meeting I ever went to, um, I just was there to take notes. Like, nobody has any idea who I am. I'm just sitting in the back. I have a notebook. I'm writing stuff down, listening, seeing, observing what's going on. And the city planner got up and wanted to submit an ordinance to change the gradient of uh, driveways or something. It wasn't driveways. It was a business like to the road entering the parking lot of a business. <laughs> it was something they had recently changed. And he wanted to change it to a different thing. And this lady uh, stood up, one of the councilwomen stood up and said, um, I take issue with that. I represent the business district of the city of Centerville. And I hear often from my uh, constituents that, you know, they've got, these are small businesses. They've got no way to know the law changes every time you change it. And they don't have the funds to hire a lawyer to go through and keep them updated on all of it. And there's just no good place for them to go to find out what these ordinances are. That was the very first, very first city council meeting I ever went to. I, I, nobody knew, like I, Hadn't talked to anybody. I was still just, this was my idea that me and my friends were mulling over and we wanted to see if there was any, anything to it. That's awesome. And it goes hand in hand with that. If, if you pursue something, uh, one, of, one of the problems that I feel like a lot of people have is they're like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. And then they do nothing. If you don't know what you want to do, that's fine. Do something. You don't have to pick the end goal today you don't have to right now figure out what you're meant for 
but you need to pick a direction and go in it. It doesn't have to be the direction, but it has to be a direction. Because if you just stand still, if you just sit, then you're going to miss those opportunities where you go to your friend's house and meet his electrical engineer dad who has a background in the thing that you are trying to learn about. I think that's a great place to end this, Tom. Yeah, I think that, yeah. Thank you guys very much for having Wait, me on. Am I first or are you I, first? How do you guys end it? What's your ritual? <clears throat> Actually, my ritual is I have a question for you. I've heard a lot about your business, a little bit about your life. What are some of the biggest trials and tribulations that you have gone through and how have you grown from them? If you would like to talk about them. Interesting. Can we save it for another time? I mean, we can, that's okay. How long of a, how long of a a response do you want? As long as you want, dude. Honestly, I'm really not in a hurry. (laughs) No one really, unless you have some place to be. I feel like that's an extended response um, question. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's one that I could do off of the top. Okay. But if you gave me time to, to think about it, and if you guys let me come on again... Oh, of course. I could spend an entire podcast talking about that. Oh, yeah, dude. Hundred, Yeah, we can for sure do that. All right. Well, then that's my <laughs> ending ritual. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. I totally... It's, it's fine, brother. This has been a lot of fun, man. All right. Uh, I've been Marcus. I've been Nico. And this was Porch Talk. Thanks for listening.